Right, good morning, one and all. Uh, if you're looking at me kind of strangely, you're wondering who the heck are you? My name is Bill, together with my wife Rachel. We're usually a part of the 915 congregation. So if you started coming fairly recently, you, you, you've not been to the 915, that's why you haven't seen us. So um, I'm going to just mention, if, if I sound slightly croaky or if I cough, I don't have COVID. I, I just mentioned that because, uh, not that I'm going for the sympathy vote, but I, I caught a cold about a week and a half ago, and the tail end of it, ugh, the tail end of it is my voice is a little croaky, but I know how people react in public these days if you cough. So I just want to let you know, I do lateral flow tests twice a week, they're negative, I'm okay, I'm just a little croaky. So if I do cough, it's just like, mm, don't look at me. I can see the wide-eyed panic sometimes in people's eyes. Um, this morning, I'm going to um, share with you uh, a little talk that I have slightly tongue-in-cheek entitled Stairway to Heaven. Uh, those of you of a certain age or a certain musical kind of bent will know that that is a nod and a wink to the, uh, the Led Zeppelin track, which contains the lyrics, there's a lady who thinks all that glitters is gold and she's buying a stairway to heaven. And if you think, oh dear, oh dear, what chronic musical taste has he got? Um, you should think yourselves lucky because the last sermon that I preached at the 9.15 was, a kind of, was I titled Any Dream Won't Do because I was preaching from the life of Joseph. Uh, they did actually get me to sing a few bars of, the, uh, the, of said song, um, but with my current throat, I'm not even going to try any bars of she's buying a stairway to heaven. But anyway, there we go. So, um, yeah, you're all exceedingly grateful for that. Um, and um, I'm going to read from Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 8, and it says this. Uh, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given to him before he was conceived. And I just love this passage, and it's, it's very, very familiar. I think the trouble is uh, we've become slightly anaesthetized to the power of it. 
And I say that very, very respectfully. And today's talk is going to have kind of two parts to it. One is about the revelation of the gospel, and the other is about our response to the gospel, the response to the gospel. And picture, if you will, these shepherds are watching over their flocks. And I don't know if any of you have read The Yorkshire Shepherdess, or follow her on Twitter, or have even watched an, uh, the, uh, the series on Channel 5, Our Yorkshire Farm. I am guilty on all counts. Uh, Brian and Pat recommended uh, Our Yorkshire Farm to us, and I absolutely love it. And it's the story of Amanda and Clive Owen with their nine children, yes, nine children, who um, they get helping out on the farm. But the one thing that you, and it, it's a very remote farm. It's one of the highest altitude farms in England. It's up at the top of Swaledale. And the thing that you pick up is that farming, particularly being a hill shepherd, is not a nine to five occupation. These guys are out in all weathers looking after their sheep. And we can kind of be a little bit blasé sometimes while shepherds washed their socks by night or seated around the tub. You know, the familiarity of the carol while shepherds watched, and that's not dissing the carol in any way, shape or form, but we've somehow become a little bit familiar and sometimes familiarity can breed a little bit of contempt about the fact that these guys, they're watching over their flocks. And the power of what happens doesn't quite grip us in the way that perhaps it should. These guys, they're out in the region of Bethlehem watching their flocks. And there's huge symbolism with this as well, because often flocks from round Bethlehem would be the uh, sheep, the lambs that would be offered in sacrifice at the temple, particularly at Passover. These would be the lambs which would symbolize the sacrifice that God would make, that the blood that atones for sin, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And also built into that is the, the whole power of the location as well, because when Jacob went um, up from Bethel and his wife Rachel died, he erected a pillar to her outside of Bethlehem. And uh, I don't even know if I'll get the, uh, the, the, uh, t the, the name correct, but the tower is called Migdal Eda. Uh, my Hebrew isn't, well, my Hebrew is non-existent. It's not that it's good, it's non-existent. It, it's non-existent. But the, the name of the tower is the watchtower of the flock. And the Jewish tradition would be that uh, the interpretation of Micah 4 verse 8 is that the Messiah would be revealed and announced at the watchtower of the flock near to Bethlehem. And you have these shepherds perhaps watching over the lambs that might be Passover lambs at the roundabout the location of the watchtower of the flock and it's dark. There is no night pollution. It is a still night they are keeping their eye out for, cre for creatures that might come and pick off the flock. They're making sure that their charges are being looked after. And suddenly, in the pitch black of the night, the lights come on. And it's not, with the greatest respect, this is not to do, take anything away from Jane's picture, but it is not a row of fairy lights. This is brought, suddenly the night becomes broad daylight and an angel appears. And again, we might have become just a little bit anesthetized to that and a little bit familiar 
with, with Renaissance art, where the angels look like very pretty young men, or Christmas cards, where, you know, angelic be beings probably resemble something like the fairy on top of the Christmas tree. And I'm not saying that to be rude or nasty, but if you imagine that you are a shepherd in the pitch black, in the dark, outside of Bethlehem, and suddenly an angelic being who might just look a little bit fierce and materializes out of nowhere in front of you, and the light of the glory of God shines, that it becomes almost like broad daylight, it says they were afraid. And it, the literal Greek is they feared with a great fear. They were scared out of their wits. And the angel says to them, don't be afraid because I bring you great tidings, glad tidings, good news of great joy. The old Wycliffe translation, when Wycliffe translated the Bible into English, the literal translation that he made of this one was, I evangelize to you a great joy. And there is something that warms the hearts of these shepherds as the angel announces the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. You see, you might think that the birth of the King of Kings might warrant a birth announcement in the times, or whatever the equivalent of the times was, in ancient times. Perhaps the newspaper would have been called the ancient times, who knows. Um, it certainly wasn't a twee announcement on social media. There was no tweet. There was no Facebook Live. There was no Facebook announcement. It certainly wasn't on TikTok. And what happened was that God chose to reveal the coming of the Messiah to shepherds. And again, it's interesting that it was shepherds because shepherds were, it wasn't just that they were manual laborers. It was that they were pretty much the lowest of the low because their work kept them away from Sabbath observance. It kept them away from all of the ritual observances of the law. The rabbis taught that shepherds were ceremonially unclean and they were regarded as outcasts, outsiders, and the bottom of the heap. And God loves to come to people who are outsiders, outcasts, who the world thinks of as nothing, who even think of themselves as nothing, people who may consider themselves the bottom of the heap and come to them and say, I bring you glad tidings of great joy. A savior has been born to you who is Christ the Lord. And that's a bit of a poke in the eye to the Roman emperor because Augustus initiated something which became known as the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. And he said, I am the Lord and I am the Savior. And the angel came along and says, the Lord has been born to you and he is Christ the Lord. He is your Savior. And he will bring peace to people on whom his favor 
rests. You see, there is no peace outside of the Prince of Peace. And there is this birth announcement that is staggering that is made that echoes back. And then suddenly there is this angelic host appears, as if one angel isn't terrifying enough. It says that there is a multitude of the heavenly host. That means literally an army of angels. The army of the Lord appears in the sky, but they've come not to declare war, but to declare peace. And they sing glory to God. This is the kind of worship that you get in the throne room of heaven. Glory to God in the highest and on earth to people on whom his favor rests. And they have a worship time because they're having a party because Jesus has been born. You see, for years, people have been yearning after the coming of the Messiah. One day, going back to Rachel and Jacob, Jacob having swindled his brother out of his inheritance, is fleeing from the retribution of his brother's temper, and he's making his way, and he kips for the night at a place which he names Bethel, and he makes a stone his pillow, and he dreams, and he, he dreams of angels, and he sees a stairway. I mean, we talk about Jacob's Ladder. It's literally more, the better translation is a staircase or a stairway. You can perhaps see where I'm going with this a little bit. And he dreams of angels coming up and down this staircase. And he isn't quite sure what it means, but he names the place Bethel because he says, this is the very house of God. This is the gateway to heaven. And he sees angels going up and down. And I'm sure he doesn't quite know what it means, but there is this sense of he sees something that echoes the covenant that God made with his forefather Abraham about a promise that the deliverer would come. And later on in Jesus' life, he calls Philip, and Philip goes to his friend Nathaniel, and he says, we've met this guy from Nazareth. We think he's the Messiah. And Nathaniel says, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because they're expecting the Messiah to come from Bethlehem. But Philip says, come and see. And that's always a good invitation, come and see. And Nathaniel goes along with Philip, and Jesus sees him and he says, look, this is a true Israelite in whom there's no guile. And Nathaniel says, well, how do you know me? He says, well, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip spoke to you. And he went, wow, surely you are the Lord, the King of Israel. And he said, if you're impressed with that, you will see heaven opened and the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Because the ladder isn't a thing, the stairway isn't a thing, it's a person. And these angels are announcing to the shepherds, a stairway to heaven has been planted on the earth. Now there's some things to do as the, because Jesus has got to live a little bit, because if all that we needed was a virgin birth, and an incarnation, Jesus could have been killed for the sins of the world just immediately after he was born. But Jesus lived a perfect life. He gave dignity to manual labor and employment. And in it all, 
He glorified God and did, was tempted in every way like as we were, but was without sin. And there was a point where his baptism, where the clouds opened and a voice said, this is my beloved son. In him I am well pleased. And there's something of the announcement of the gospel in this passage which is profoundly powerful. It's yet to reach its fullness. It's yet to see that Jesus died on Calvary for the sins of the people and that he would be raised again to life. But it's announcing that God has been made man forever. Because Jesus is at the right hand of God right now and he's still man of very man as well as God of very God. That is the mystery of the incarnation. He's not 50-50. He's not half man. He's not half God. He is completely man, but yet he is completely God. Can you figure that one out? No. But what do you do? You worship him. And that's what the shepherds do, because having received a revelation of the good news, that God's favor is resting on people, and that there is now a means whereby people can come into the presence of God, that God has launched a rescue mission. He's not just sending us a word of encouragement. He is the word made flesh. And he's come to redeem, to buy back his people for his own pleasure and his own purpose. And in response, the shepherds say, let's go. Let's go. And that's a good response to the gospel. Let's go. And they go to Bethlehem where they find Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. And one of the responses is reverence as they acknowledge as shepherds of sheep that may well be sacrificed in the temple. They bow before the one who is the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. And they reverence him. And that's a good response to the gospel. That's a good response to Jesus. That he's alive. And he is worthy of our worship. But yeah, there's another interesting one where it says, the shepherds spread the word about what they'd seen and heard. And that is another interesting response to the gospel. Because each of us, we might not have an angel appear to us, we might not sing or we might not see a heavenly choir, but we all have our own point of encounter with Jesus as our Savior. And if you're here today and you've never had a point of encounter with Jesus as your Savior, today could well be your day that you answer the call and you go, let's go, let's worship Jesus. But let this, let this be a motivation to us where we answer the call 
to take opportunity to share our story when we can. Now, I'm not saying, because, you know, I guess of all the activities of the Christian faith, sharing our faith is probably the one that a lot of people shirk from. I think the, uh, the Southern Baptists in America did a, uh, a survey recently and 90% of people said that they wouldn't share their faith and probably never would. It's an interesting statistic, that. Mainly because people try it and they get a little bit discouraged by sharing something that they're not comfortable with sharing with people who definitely aren't comfortable with receiving it. And so that can be quite discouraging. But yet, I read my Facebook feed and the number of people, I mean, I know this is a little bit sentiment sometimes, but the number of people who are bereaved in some way, shape or form, or it's the anniversary of their parents' death from way back when, or the anniversary of a relative's death, and it's kind of like, happy heavenly birthday. You know, look forward to seeing you again. And there is some hope that some people have that goes beyond the grave that sometimes they don't know quite how to articulate. They might be not wanting us to preach to them, but then who called everybody to preach to everybody? Jesus said, not go and witness to people, because actually he said, you're my witnesses. And the shepherds were witnesses of the revelation of the birth of Jesus Christ, and they shared what they'd seen and what they'd heard. And Peter encourages us, he said, always be prepared to give an account for the hope that you have. And it's encouraging us in that passage that I shared from Peter, that when people ask, that we're prepared. But that we should perhaps be looking to love people in word and deed, and as we have the opportunity to share our story. Because each of us has a story. I'd like to encourage you this morning to be comfortable with the work of God in your life and to look with, to, for ways that you can communicate to people also somewhat creatively. The, um, the shepherds actually did this together and um, there, is a, there is a concept which John Burke in his book Unshockable Love calls relational momentum. Because when Jesus said, I've called you to be fishers of men, these days we tend to think of fishing as a bit of a solitary activity. I mean, I've never been fishing and probably I never will. Um, because most fishermen I see are sitting out in the cold and the damp on a canal towpath with a rod on their own. Actually, lockdown, if I can really be brutally honest, I've quite enjoyed kind of my own company and some, I've, I've connected with my inner introvert in a way that I never thought that I probably would. Um, so perhaps sitting on my own by a canal with a rod might suit me, but I think not. But fishing in the New Testament was much more of a corporate activity. And the thing is, you on your own 
Somebody might just think, well, yeah, they're just a nice person. Yeah, that's an interesting story. But if you can connect with people and make a good invitation and you learn the skill of doing that, they can discover that there's a whole host of people who shine a light also. So you've not just got one small light, you've got a whole host of lights being the light of the world together. I have told this story before, and I hope that Simon will excuse me for telling it again. But um, I, uh, I, was, I spent yesterday evening in the com company of Rachel's siblings, and it kind of reminded me of a party that I was at several years ago. And um, one of my brothers-in-law, I have several, one of my brothers-in-law said to me, are you familiar with any churches in Tewkesbury? I went, no, not really. Uh, but I said, Tewkesbury isn't that far. He said, yeah, he said, my, my brother could probably do with some company and a bit of help. Um, any chance that you could do something? I went, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll kind of look him up. And so we, we called him and went down and visited and the kids loved playing with his tortoise out on the lawn and all this kind of stuff. And kind of my perception was, A, this man needs Jesus, but also he needs a, needs a few mates. So I said, do you want to come to our New Year's Eve party? And he said, yeah, I'd love to. And as we drove back, I said to Rachel, guess we'd better organise a New Year's Eve party then. <laughs> no word of a lie, seriously. But sometimes you have to do evangelism on the fly. And, but, you know, kind of it's, it's not like, hey, do you want to come and be saved? It's like, no, do you want to come to a New Year's Eve party, meet other nutters like us? And so I, I, I quickly ran around a few friends in the church saying, look, met this guy, needs some love. Would you like to come to a New Year's Eve party at our house? New Year's Eve. I mean, funnily enough, it was on New Year's Eve, you know, New Year's Eve party. So sure enough, a good number of the church turned up, Simon turned up, and um, we kind of went on from there. Was it Friday the 13th? Yeah, yeah, Friday, I remember. Friday the 13th, we, uh, I went down to Simon's house and we had a bit of a chat and had a bit of a pray, and Jesus, uh, Simon invited Jesus into his heart and the rest, as they say, is history. But, you know, sometimes... You have to be a little bit creative, a little bit goofy, share your story, and help love people toward Jesus rather than preaching to them. Because, okay, not all of us are gifted to be preachers. And so don't feel that you're having to preach to people. Share your story. Love them toward Jesus. Make a good invitation. But harness the power of relational momentum. Interesting enough, Burke says these three things are key to relational momentum. Firstly, is a friendship with someone who acts like Jesus. Two, a relationship with other Christians who they enjoy hanging out with and with whom they feel like they belong. And one of our key values is we welcome people. You can belong. Not perhaps in the same way as if you've given your life to, the, to Jesus, but hey, we, we, we make no preconceived things. You can come as you are. And then the third thing is a come-as-you-are learning environment. Because Jesus didn't say to go and make converts. He didn't say go and make people make decisions and put their hands up in a meeting. He said make disciples. That's a learning thing. That's an ongoing thing. We're happy for people to walk with us on a journey. It may take a while, but people are on their journey. People are on different stages of their journey toward Jesus. 
I'm not saying an angel from heaven might not provoke them, but most of us don't have angelic visitations, or at least we don't see them physically. I've been aware of the presence of angels, never actually seen one. I think I would be gripped with a great fear if I did. <laughs> but in this, there is something of the power of Jesus being made incarnate. Let's not become too familiar with that. Let, in this kind of Christmas season, which is a little bit perhaps overly commercialized, let's not lose the wonder of the fact that God became flesh and dwelt among us and invites us to dwell with him. But let's respond to the gospel in a good way. Let's revere him. But let's not be ashamed to tell people our story. Heavenly Father, we want to say thank you so much that there was a point in history, even though it may not have been the 25th of December, when you became flesh. You took on the form of a human being. Lord Jesus, you, God, the eternal Son, became the Son of God, the Son of Man. And Jesus, we reverence you for that, that you came to seek and save those who were lost, and you sought us and you found us. And we just ask you this morning, would you kindle in our hearts a fresh fire to love you and worship you, but also stir in us a fresh passion to reach others with the same love that you found us with. In Jesus' name, amen.